0: Hello and welcome to this Portrait of an Icon podcast from Ocrey Books. I'm Chris Nee and this is the fifth profile of the series in which we're getting stuck into the life and times of the football figures featured in Daniel Story's book. Portrait of an Icon is available to buy from Ockley Books right now with proceeds going to the Sir Bobby Robson Foundation. Uh, David Hartschritt from Ockley Books. Hello. hello. You're with us again. Um, and Daniel joins us again, of course. So let's get a quick reminder of how and why the book came about. Hi, Dan.
1: Hello. Uh, portrait of an Icon started as a fo- uh, feature on Football365.com, and maybe a couple of months in, I spoke to Dave, obviously of Octy Books, and spoke to the St. Bobby Robson Foundation about turning it into a book to raise proceeds for the charity. Robson had already been written and been published as a portrait at that point, and it felt a very nice way of releasing the book, raising some money for the charity, and being very selfish, showing off the writing that I enjoy doing.
0: Fair enough. Uh, we're five weeks into our chats about some of the, the, the men that, that feature. They're not all men. No. Um, But the, the six that we've kind of picked for this happen to have been. Um, although we've had a manager so far at the very beginning, it's been very player heavy uh, for the last few shows. Next week, we have a man who excelled at both. But we're very much in the dugout this week, aren't we?
1: Why is Arsene Wenger
0: a manager who justifies the icon label?
1: Bobby Robson was picked for personality. Um, Arsene Wenger's picked for impact. Um, whatever, we will go on to discuss the early and late years of Arsene Wenger at Arsenal. But one thing that is not in doubt and will never change is that Wenger changed the course of English football, advanced English football, advanced its players, used strategies that we now consider commonplace, but at the time were groundbreaking, led English football. Um, there was never any doubt when I created a list of managers. Some of them, some people I've left out were very good managers, but I did not consider them to be iconic. For what Wenger achieved at Arsenal and English football, I consider him to be iconic. Um, One thing, because he has been
0: so impactful in English football, um, we tend to overlook what he did before. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I think in your profile in the book, you talk about David Dean and how he had to have a bit of tenacity to get Benger into the job in the first place. And a lot of that came from having met with him and spoken to him and being convinced by it. But he has relatively solid achievements pre-Arsenal as well. Yep. Um, started out at Nancy, I think. Yes. And certainly was was there for a few years in, in the 1980s and then seven years at Monaco. And he managed to reasonable success some Pretty impressive footballers during that time.
1: Yes, Glenn Hoddle is a, a very obvious example for English football. George Weah actually dedicated his World Player of the Year award to him when he won. Um, Jurgen Klinsmann played at Monaco at that time. Wenger was successful. He wasn't groundbreaking at Monaco. He wasn't. This wasn't an Arsenal tenure, even on a sort of mini basis. He did win the title um, in very early in his time there, but then was eventually left because he didn't win it again. Um, so it wasn't wholly successful, but it was very much a sign of things to come, yes. Uh, did you, when you wrote the profile originally, did you get a chance to have a look at the Japan move in any detail? Because it
0: sticks out like a sore thumb now, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, he he basically, he David Dean wanted him in 1995. Um, he tried to persuade the Arsenal board didn't get the backing at that time was felt to be too much of a risk, and understandably so. So they appointed Bruce Rioch. Wenger decided to make that move to Japan to try something new, to try a new different, try a different culture, to try and implement something on what he felt as was more of a blank canvas. I think, um, but very much with the I- he moved out there with the idea that he was going to move back. This was not a permanent move, but it was a way of broadening horizons, certainly. He then came back, took that Arsenal job
0: then and managed to convince the people around him that that he was a a worthy gamble. Mm -hmm. Um, And this, Dave, came at a time when the basic fact that he was within the walls of Arsenal and unknown because he was a foreign manager um, and outside of aficionados of French football, I think just the, the time in history suggests that they probably weren't alone in considering to to be a bit of unknown, and yeah. he was groundbreaking in that sense as well, wasn't
2: he? Very much so. Arsenal had just had Bruce Rioch in, who was, a, 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 you know, George Graham incarnate, really. Um, and it was it was a perfect marriage in a way because Bruce Rioch had he'd struggled at Arsenal. He'd done some weird things with certain players. I mean, he played Ian Wright out on the wing and various other players all over the place. They'd signed Bergkamp, couldn't get a tune out of him. And what Wenger needed to to in the next phase of his career is a club that were willing to turn themselves over to him, that were willing to say, do you know what, we're going to go with whatever you say 100%. And when he came in, there was a lot of snide asides from other, players, other managers in press conferences. I remember uh, even Fergie having a little sly jab early on but the the thing that Wenger did was there was instant improvement and there was long-term improvement he proved that what he was doing both had merit in the short term and the long term and that left nobody in any doubt that hang on a sec this is serious this is a this is a proper guy uh, there's that story Lee Dixon tells about going to the hotel for the first time and they were went to their buffet all the chips had gone all the tomato ketchup had gone and at the end there was lots of pill boxes for various supplements they had to take now he tells this story in a fairly negative light which is exactly how a lot of other people approached it you know this is weird this is odd this is out there now there is not a club in the land who doesn't take that exact exact approach so yeah and there was a lot on the back pages there was also a lot of Arsen, who wasn't it? Yeah, a lot standard. Of, there were there was both the blatant stuff, but then also in in early match reports, etc. There was an awful lot of little sly digs and what have you. But I tell you what, six months later, everybody had to uh, had to pipe down.
0: Yeah, and Dan, you hinted in in the profile about some of the reasons why that was beyond the actual success on the field, mm-hmm. and there was a clutch of players probably. Six players who were vital in that, weren't they? And that is David Seaman and his back four mm-hmm. and Dennis Burkett.
1: Yeah, Wenger's brilliance in that first season at Arsenal was not just or making changes, although he did make a lot of changes and Dave's alluded to some of those, but it was also having the wherewithal to realise what worked before Wenger, Joseph Venglos had gone into Aston Villa as the first foreign manager and had failed because the accusation was that he tried to change too much. Mm. Um, and I think hindsight can dictate that perhaps Vengloss was mistrusted unfairly, but he made too many changes. What Arsene Wenger did is he realised what worked and he persuaded that back, it the back four, essentially, that he could extend their careers and very quickly proved to them, as the Dixon story says that he could extend their careers and could improve them further as players. Dennis Bergkamp was his perfect, perfect, almost assistant for that mm. first season because he knew it worked. He, he'd seen that firsthand at other clubs. He knew that this would work at Arsenal. And he not he just knew it could work, but he knew it could give Arsenal the edge over other clubs. So he was his perfect um assistant in the squad, His mm. his sort of good cop, bad cop routine to put an arm mm. around his teammates and say, look, stick with this. This will work. And it wasn't just supplements and things like that. It was very simple things. It was individual training regimes for players. It was stopping players run, run, run in pre-season every single day, the grueling elements of things. And as you say, Dave, the effect was so instant, but also the players could see, even before anyone outside the club, could see how long-term this was going to be, But someone like Tony Adams got four or five years extra as a pro because of it. Good uh, years. Good year. Great years, yes. I've not
0: seen him. So my my memories of Arsenal's previous title wins in my lifetime are Mm. sketchy at best. The Tony Adams that played through the first part of the Wenger regime was light years better than my impression of him had been. And And that was
1: really important because doing that to a... An old school Division One type of player. The Premier League, English football, would have been rebranded as a Premier League. It was not First Division anymore, but the players were still First Division. Changing a First Division player into a Premier League great that opened the floodgates for other foreign managers because English football realised that actually, if this guy can do it, it would be it would be unthinkable that he's the only person that could do this. That the goal that Adams scored in winning the title against Everton, yes.
0: That was the moment when Wenger went from impressive to mm. great, in my estimation.
1: And the other thing, the great thing about those moments with Wenger is, unlike other managers, and I don't even need to name it because it's obvious, it was never about him. Despite what he had the wherewithal that, what, despite he, what he achieved, and let's face it, this was two fingers up to people who had, you know, not just yeah. doubted him but openly mocked him. He didn't need to say anything else. He didn't need to. He just needed to let his players do the talking and the improvement in those players do the talking. And that Adams moment, you're right, is exactly that. Because that is Wenger personified on the pitch. Yeah.
0: For anyone who hasn't seen that goal, he's listening. It wasn't a header from a corner. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, he, he no. Scored it's a surging,
2: surging run. Yeah. Um,
0: Dave, it seems strange to say it now with how the 16, 17 season went for him so far he backed it up with pots, didn't he
2: yeah and I think I think the, the, realistically the last four or five years of his Arsenal career I think why why some fans whether whether you believe they have a right to or not where the the, the separation comes with Wenger is because he was so successful they won trophies he goes out and wins his double in the first full season he has in English football. But I think another element of the frustration is that he's quite a quiet man. He's quite a reserved man. He's not somebody who's going to throw a teacup across the dressing room at you. But what he did was he made sure his football team in those, that first, I would argue, probably the first six, seven seasons, he made sure that team not only had a couple of Arsene Wenger's on the pitch, but they also had a couple of players who were effectively bizarro Wenger, who would turn round and would be the ones who chuck that teacup at you, who would tell you when things weren't right. And I think, as he's got later in life, I think some of that, the problem is he hasn't been able to replicate that system on the pitch. But when you had an Arsenal team with that back four in place, who you know are all that good at their jobs, they're going to provide a certain level of performance. If you're playing in front of them, then you better make sure your level of performance is similar. And if your midfield's level of performance is the same as that, and as a striker, then you make sure your level of performance. And that's where it comes from. And I think the thing that Wenger did that was so impressive was he took a team that was pretty good and he completely reshaped them into something better that was a completely different footprint. He didn't work with what he had. He took what he had and moulded it into something completely different, radically different. And then he went out and found a Nicolas Anelka. Then he went and pulled in a Patrick Vieira. Then he went and found a Thierry Henry. And that that sort of, that that level, I think for a manager, that it's a very small percentage of managers who get to do that and get to do that over any sort of sustained career. You know, if you can do that over a five-year peri- uh, period in a twenty-year management career, that is still an enormously successful manager. And this is somebody who maintained it for longer than that. And that's where some of the frustration of, re- of you know, he- the last seasons have come from. Mm.
0: But when you think about those names, Henri Burkamp, Vieira, possibly
2: but even, top of the list, and then Petit, Overmars. Mm. You know, these these were Will players. Taught, yeah. yeah, so they- you
0: can see where the lack of at least Premier League winning success of late is coming from. Mm. Uh, they don't have anybody remotely close to that level of quality anymore, do they? Not as
1: a team player. Not that has. I think the difference is, is that the players that Arsenal have had like that have not completely bought into the ethos of the club. They are nah. astounding individuals and great team players, but they are not, as you say, they are not Arsene Wenger players. They are players who Arsene Wenger has brought in because he is aware that a change was needed. And you could argue that... It's very strange. You could argue that, that, that Arsenal are not successful now because Wenger hasn't changed, or you can argue that it's because he's changed too much from his principles and, and therefore is outside his comfort yeah. zone. And I think the dichotomy between those two has created a quite an even situation where he isn't completely happy with how things are going, the players aren't completely happy with his vision, and the fans have therefore become completely divided over that. It,
2: it's quite weird to sit here and think about a Wenger team who went up against Man United in the late 90s and who realised very, very quickly it wasn't enough to be good at football. You had to go toe-to-toe with them. Now, that that is what I think he's lost. He's become mm-hmm. too much of a purist in the later stage of his career and lost that ability to go do you know what, we're going to out, go out there, we're going to play brilliant football, but we're also going to rat about when we haven't got the ball. We're going to go, you know, we're, we're not going to let people push us around.
0: You can more or less divide Wenger's time at Arsenal today into mm-hmm. two halves. Yeah, One decade, second decade. Yeah, The meeting of those two is one of the landmarks in his Arsenal career. There are others as well. Um and one of them of course is the Invincibles season. So they they won the league in ninety eight in two thousand and two and again in two thousand four. Winning the season without losing a game is an unbelievable achievement. Mm-hmm. It wasn't his best team, was it? No. Two thousand one two was his best team. What
1: makes you how do you justify that given the results? Um the Invincible season was an incredible achievement as soon as it had passed halfway and without a huge amount of competition for the title, it became about that achievement. Now, I completely get that. Only two other clubs in the last 20 years have done it. Porto in a pretty uncompetitive Portuguese league and Juventus, 2011 12 in Serie A, which was also reasonably uncompetitive. Paris Saint-Germain, Bayern Munich, Barcelona, Real Madrid, none of those teams have done it. And they have been dynasties and they've not done that. So for Wenger, it became about the invincibles. That could only have happened because 2002 happened, because they were they became, for a period of time, the entertainers under Wengler. Mm. And that team bred 2004 because they'd done the entertain, they'd done winning with style. And this was about, quite frankly, rubbing Alex Ferguson's nose in it, Mm. basically. That was to show we could do something that you'd never done. Because Manchester United had won with style. In fact, they'd won the treble with style. So Arsenal had not matched that. So it was finding a new way of setting himself apart so 26 wins, 12 draws. They got more points and, you know, they, they've done things differently, but still does not take away the achievement one little bit. They're just different for me. I don't think one's less than the other. What was great about the 2002 team? They had style. They had so much style. Um, they blew teams away. There were teams, there were times in that season where you went to Arsenal and you thought, Do you know what? If we lose 3-0, it's not that bad. Mm. They had an incredible, incredible team. And this was a team that, 10 years earlier, had been 1-0 to the Arsenal. You know, this is a team that had grown up for supporters, had grown up with that cliche of their club that had been completely flipped on its head. This was, a, far, this was a, a team dominated with foreign players, playing beautiful football, and it was a team sculpted in Wenger's
2: own image. But there was also, he. they would sign a player and you would know from the off, right, he's brilliant. Mm. You may not have heard of him, but there was an immediate trust there because of what happened in the three or four seasons that preceded it. Right, you're, you're going to bring in Sylvan Wiltord. I don't know who he is. I've not seen him play, but I guarantee he's going to be a good player. And that, that was the thing that created an aura itself. But I think that's slightly downplaying the Invincible one yes, a little bit. potentially, yeah. We we To take you behind the curtain, we're, we're sitting in a box at Huddersfield Town at the moment. And this club had, uh, a couple of seasons ago, under Lee Clark, went on a massive unbeaten run. And that unbeaten run became a massive millstone for this club. They were, they drew so many games they should have won because they were petrified of losing. Whereas that Arsenal side kept going out and kept trying to win and they they go and buy Reyes in January Mm. as another attacking option. They're not thinking about not losing games. They're thinking about winning them. And I think I know exactly where you're coming from and I think I just about agree with you but I'm not quite as certain <laughs> as you are on it.
0: There were some changes at the back by 2004. So the, the, the 2004 back four wasn't the same as it was in the early 90s for mm. obvious reasons. How important were Arsenal's English players during those, those second two title wins?
1: There is an argument and you don't have to agree with it and people won't because that's football quite frankly and these are two... Players who have divisive reputations, so we kindly say. But there is an argument that a period of time, Sol Campbell was the best centre back in the world, and there's a period of time where Ashley Cole was the best left back in the world. And for those two to play together was huge for Arsenal because there was a there were weaknesses in that invincible squad. There were weaknesses next to Sol Campbell. Lauren was a was a, a fine fullback, but he was not anywhere near the best. Fullback in the world, he was n- mm. not that near the best fullback in the Premier, right back in the Premier League. But those two were incredibly important. And it always feels to me, looking through Wenger's career, when I was writing this piece, Arsenal's English players tend to reflect the club. When you had Adams, Dixon, Bowl, Keown, mm. Winterburn, that was our- Seaman That was Arsenal. When you had Campbell and Cole, that was Arsenal. Now, when you've got Walcott, Oxlade, Chamberlain, to me that's Arsenal. It it, it it tends to work that way in cycles in Arsenal. I think the same is true of Manchester United as well. But the biggest English clubs are quite often, it's their English players that represent what they are. And none more so than with Colin Campbell and Ray Parler. And Ray Parler, it's only Ray Parler.
2: I Just to add to that, I think you'd have to be absolutely crazy to argue against Ashley Cole being the best left yeah. back in the world. And I think he was for the better part of the decade. Genuinely.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed across the board. Um, there is definitely a downside to talking about Wenger. Um, again, to give you a bit of a peek behind the curtain, we're, we're talking during uh, a pretty low week for, for Wenger, but one that seems to have taken on a significance in terms of his overall career as well, so certainly relevant to, to acknowledge. He won the FA Cup in 14 and 15. I have great difficulty downplaying the importance of winning the FA Cup. Mm -hmm. But for Arsenal, it's not been enough to satisfy a fan base that expects league titles. And it's been an awfully, awfully long time. And being near enough guaranteed, possibly until this season, for getting fourth and getting into the Champions League. You can see how that... Wears a, a fan base down. It's, it's an achievement that has an asterisk, isn't it? Finishing yes. fourth. It's, it's, it's something that is a necessity for clubs like Arsenal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's an achievement worth, you know, tipping a hat to, but it's not a trophy. It's no. not winning, is it?
1: And I think there's, a, there's an interesting thing with Arsenal fans. I don't think that they expect to be winning league titles. I think they expect to be competing on all fronts. The moment Arsenal, to me, are not competing on all fronts. There's a list of teams, and it's about a long list of about 15 teams, who have reached the quarterfinals of the Champions League since they did. And it includes clubs like Apoel Nicosia. It includes clubs like Tottenham Hotspur. And Arsenal want to compete. And I don't see a problem with that. I I know there are ways of expressing protest, and there are ways of expressing... Um, unrest that people can criticise but I do not have any problem with an Arsenal fan wanting his team to compete Arsene Wenger's biggest problem is that for a period of time while the, the Emirates Stadium was being built he had to work not on a shoestring but on a budget mm-hmm. and in doing so he's kind of got a Stockholm Syndrome towards that way of managing because it, hap- it, 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 it sort of hung as a smog over the club for so long that he's been able to bury his way out of that I think and I don't see now. I don't see now that there's any Arsenal supporter talking as, as at the time we do that can honestly say that Arsen Wenger can now go again. That he can now mm. push Arsenal to that next level. Unfortunately, two, three years ago, there are arguments for it. Arguments for it. There are not any more. What I hope we will go on to say and probably finish on is that that does not have to tarnish what he was. We no. can treat the past. We can't. The past and the the present can be mutually exclusive. You can appreciate what he's done without damning what he's doing at the moment and treat those two things differently. And I think that's where some supporters have got it wrong. Hmm. When you look back 20 years,
2: Hmm. I had
0: a, a, a reread of the profile and the picture of Fenger arriving at Arsenal tells you just how long 20 years it yeah, is. Yeah. So there's probably a generation of Arsenal fans who don't know an Arsenal without Wenger mm-hmm. but also don't truly know an Arsenal successful with Wenger. Mm-hmm. So the disappointment comes through in that level as well. Um, Dave, is it just that stability isn't very sexy?
2: I think there is an element of that. Um, but I think football has become such an immediate game now. I think the cycle of a manager at a top club now is two seasons. Three seasons is seen as outside the norm. So I think when you have a Wenger who's gone on for this long, he becomes a very easy scapegoat for the fans of said club to say, well, that's the problem. Take Wenger out and we'll be absolutely okay. And I think that ignores some of the constraints he's worked on that you've alluded to, Dan. I think there are elements of that as you said Dan which still stay with him and I think he has failed to evolve in the way that somebody like the the elephant in the room is Sir Alex Ferguson who was who was absolutely brilliant at constantly evolving and knowing when are the moments are to changed his assistant manager so he had some new ideas some new ways of thinking and a fresh voice and I think Wenger has genuinely struggled with that and I think the problem with Arsenal is it's it's that old thing that when you've seen what you had you want it again and you assume that is the norm that is your baseline and it's not your baseline you you know they they have merely sort of retreated to a mean unfortunately at a period in premier league history when some of the oil money has come in some of the whether you call it financial doping whether you just say investment in inverted commas, completely depends on who you support but unfortunately he's been left behind and not been able to evolve his legacy is beyond question
1: yes absolutely he what he did for English football in his first six months in charge was exceptional. What he did in his first six years on char- in charge will, I don't think, be repeated. No, Certainly be. not without huge financial investment. Um, he did not work on a shoestring, but he made changes that money can't buy. Um, and football is now a sport, because we're in an internet age, where there is so little that we don't know Wenger genuinely opened English football's eyes mm. to a different way. And I don't think any other manager will ever do that. And, and that, for me, whatever happens, whatever has happened since, is a, is a huge legacy. Completely agree.
0: We will leave Wenger there and uh, acknowledge that his story is one of these six that's yet to reach its conclusion, which doesn't feel so far away these days. Thank you, Dan and Dave. Thank you. Portrait of an Icon is available now to buy from Lockheed UK.